Thanks for tuning in to All It's Quacked Up To Be, a podcast for early childhood education owners, directors, and executives. This is a special episode for our Australian listeners. For those of you in the United States who would like to hear about our industry trend report, please check out our episode titled Scaling for Success, Key Takeaways from the 2024 ECE Benchmark Report. I'm Molly Phelps, Demand Gen Manager here at LineLeader, and I'm joined by Jason, founder and CEO of the Sector Early Education News Platform, Ash, CEO of Care for Kids and Toddle, as well as two line leader quacks, Celinda Prisco, head of business operations in Australia, and our CEO, Brett Neller. Today, we are going to be discussing the current state of the industry, as well as enrollment and technology trends. So let's dive in. All right. Well, thanks for joining us uh, today. Brett Neller, CEO of Line Leader. Uh, for anybody that doesn't know me, I've been in the seat since October 1st. Uh, so been a wild ride to close out 23 and excited for 2024. Uh, but today, um, talking a little bit about scaling success, key takeaways from the benchmark report that we released here uh, in the first uh, month of the year. But have some really special guests to, uh, with us today. I'd love to go around the horn and introductions. Um, Tell a little bit about yourself and then maybe a little bit um, what you do today uh, as it relates to early childhood education um, and, and your company. So I'll, I'll go to, to Jason first. Um, um, yep, my name's Jason and um, I am the founder of Sector Early Education News Platform, which I hope everybody knows. Uh, I also help lead a small group of long daycare services in, uh, in and around uh, Sydney in New South Wales, Australia. Awesome. Thanks for joining us, Jason. Ash? Hi, Brett. Um, Ash from uh, Care for Kids and Toddle. Um, we run a childcare search comparison website uh, across Australia. Uh, we have now about 35% of the long daycare market as partners um, and continue to ex extend that out. Um, we've just ticked over now. 3 million um, unique users of the platform. Each wow, year. congrats. Um, thank you. So it is growing from uh, from strength to strength. Awesome. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, Celine. Hello. Thank you. Uh, Celine DePrisco from Line Leader, uh, head of business operations in Australia, formerly a user of the Line Leader platform. Uh, so big advocate uh, and previously worked at a fairly large organization in Australia um, as an operator uh, using the platform. So familiar with some of the pain points that some of our operators are facing today and uh, always open to discuss strategies for success in that space. Awesome. Well, thanks for everybody for joining us. Excited to, to power through some of these questions, get your thoughts. Uh, you all have a little bit of a different experience and flavor you can add. Um, and hopefully those listening get a lot out of this um, and can take away, have some good takeaways to take back to, as an operator, as an owner. Um, uh, I think it'd be really great. So we'll do a little bit of a round robin uh, question here. Uh, give each of everybody a little bit of chance to speak. First question, um, you know, there's a lot, been a lot of changes. And I think if you look past the five year over the past five years, uh, the space has evolved interest in, in different ways uh, uh, from, you know, legislation operators, even technology platforms. But what, from your perspective, and I'll throw it to Jason first, how, how have you seen the industry change in the last 12 months specifically? Well, there's one thing that we know about the early learning space in Australia, I can't speak for the US, Canada, UK, etc., is that it's always changing. There is always something going on, and it's always forcing us to evolve. There's no doubt that 2023 um, um, saw a continuation of the challenges around um, attracting and retaining staff. That was a key issue. There's no doubt in 2023, demand for early learning services was quite robust, quite solid. However, despite the government being very generous with a new childcare package, it did not stimulate particularly large additional demand, which was very notable. Yep. And the third thing that we've all been struggling to a degree with is inflation, is the cost of running our services. Um, um, which impacts us. Yep. So the operating environment is demand, workforce, and costs. They've changed a bit as well. Yeah, really interesting. I think um, 
agree with all those. Ash, anything uh, additionally you'd like to add to that? Yeah, I think just echoing what Jason has said is, is you know, the, the, in the five years I've been part of the, um, the sector, the biggest change I've seen is the focus on staff. Um, and, you know, it was quite easy to get staff five years ago uh, pre-COVID. Now people are paying, uh, you know, $5,000 sign-on bonuses without hesitation for some roles. And I think there's a really big investment now um, to to keep um, employees and staff um, uh, motivated and rewarded uh, within the, the, the actual services. And I think we're now seeing that culture is no longer a, a buzzword, but it's a requirement. Um, the other point, you know, touching on, again, what Jason said is, there was significant change in government um, investment into childcare over the last 12 months and the subsidy um, has been a huge, huge improvement for families. But there's two two camps here. There's the more affluent families that are seeing this as a bonus and they're really going through their selection list and looking at their criteria and they're happy to have a larger payment as long as it's a quality offering that fits their needs and their location. Uh, Now, this is benefiting the newer style centres with all the bells and whistles or the centres that have a really strong reputation by brand or service offering. So my standout brands here are are people like Harmony ELC or Montessori Academy or or even Eden Academy. The second group of the families that, that, you know, are feeling the strain of the cost of living and they're spending more time online searching for the best value for money childcare, looking for the lowest gap payment while still ensuring that a large part of their criteria list is being met. Um, and what this is resulting in, there's a lot of centres that sit in the middle that aren't the most value-based or they aren't the best branded or have the strongest value proposition. And these centres in the middle are the ones with the biggest occupancy issues. Interesting. And then, so do you, just a follow-up on that, from the, the, from the gaps that are seeing the biggest occupancy issues, what are they doing to mitigate that? Are they are they doing extra incentives? Are they getting a little bit more aggressive from a, from a pricing perspective? How are they looking to remediate a little bit of the of that? Yeah, it's, it's it's quite interesting. I think a lot of people aren't using price as a lever. To Jason's point, um, there is a, a lot of inflation costs within the business, and I don't think anyone is looking as cost cutting from a um, from a, a daily fee perspective as a as a growth perspective, I think what people are doing is they're doubling down and tripling down on marketing, um, and they're they're doing so without really understanding the the community that they serve and, and what they need to do to tailor that offering. So if you if you're again on one end of the spectrum, you're either a low cost operator or you're a high value operator. You're attracting um, parents in the marketplace. But if you don't really stand for anything, if you just have a childcare centre that's still a quality, you know, um, operation, but you're not really calling out your strong value proposition or providing points of difference, that's where they're they're really starting to struggle. So it's not just about you know throwing more money at, at marketing; it's about really looking at at your um, service offering and, and how you can um, reposition that in market. Got it. Thanks. Um, and then and then Celine. From your perspective, you do a lot with our customer base, and from a technology uh, platform perspective, talk to a lot of different operators. Uh, anything you've heard from them or you're seeing uh, over the past 12 months? Yeah, I think it, it connects well with both Jason and Ash's point in the sense that parents' expectations are higher than ever. Um, so not only is the cost of living higher, um, but the expectation is that they want bang for their buck uh, with these services. And so what are they offering uh, to these parents um, and making sure that they're getting quality uh, for, for how much they're paying. And the, the staffing crisis is, is no secret to these parents as well. And so that plays into that. Uh, parents are asking the, about the longevity of the staff and, you know, how satisfied they are and the benefits that they're getting. Uh, so it does trickle down all the way to the parents as well. And they're feeling um, that they want to get value for what they're paying for. Okay. Awesome. Uh, great answers. Thanks for sharing. I guess looking forward, uh, talk about the last 12 months, but uh, forward looking, any other additional themes you th- see from like industry evolution um, taking place the next you know, five to 10 years? If you had a, 
uh, a, a glass ball you can look in and see, hey, this is this is what's going to change. Is it still marketing? Is it still, you know, is inflation going to subside? Uh, how, are, how are operators going to approach the, the industry and business a little bit in a, in a different way? Um, I'll throw it to Ash. Maybe you have any thoughts on that first? Yeah, so a, a few points on this, which I think, you know, since 2004, we've seen more parents searching online, and that's obviously uh, where our data is quite strong. Um, but this is based on data from the Australian Institute of Family Studies, which indicates that in, in 2022, uh, the parents, um, the percent of parents who were both employed was 71% of couples. Um, and this is up from, if you compare it to 2000, 56% of families and from 1979, 40%. Now we're seeing a big shift in those working requirements and the shift towards attitudes in the importance of early learning in a child's development, which means we're going to see search volume still continue to increase and the utilisation of childcare in the medium term still continue to increase. I think one big trend that we are starting to see is that more parents are now paying attention to the particular learning style. Um, and, and this is seeing a rise in popularity of, of um, styles such as the Reggio Emilia and Montessori. And Montessori um, is probably one of the most sought-after learning styles that we can see online on our website. I think that the other thing is um, that it's a bit of a gut feel, but I think um, building design will start to shift and change over the next five years as a result of high property cost and building cost. Many developers we speak to are consistently saying that sites aren't stacking up. And I think the answer is going to be mixed sites where you have an increased number of childcare centres downstairs with co-work or offices upstairs. Um, and, and this is going to help, um, again, the flexible work environment of parents uh, along with change the, the supply side within the childcare industry. I mean, that makes a ton of sense. I mean, they do it with uh, retail and, and living, right? So it's an uh, interesting concept. I haven't heard of that, but that makes a ton of sense. Um, Jason, I guess forward-looking, uh, any any thoughts there on, on trends uh, versus the past 12 months, for, more forward-looking? Yeah, um, I mean, um, the big thing that we're thinking about or un coming to understand is that we have an election more than likely will be called around this time next year. It has to be completed by April stroke May next year. And in the run-up to an election, childcare um, more recently has been thrust into the limelight. Yep. And um, the current government will not want to do that without having some wins under its belt. Yep. Which, in my view, or our view, raises the probabilities that we're going to see some meaningful policy announcement, announcements at some point in the next six months. Uh, the, the main one that comes to mind, of course, is the wage negotiations that are currently ongoing between employee and employer representatives and the government. We think it's likely that there will be a resolution on this and they will announce a pay rise with the government funding it. And that will be one of the big election narratives that the government will use going into the back end of this year and into next. Um, we also have to be aware that um, the Productivity Commission are about a third of the way through their process and producing a very meaningful analysis of the broader sector with a specific mandate to determine and include as to whether the current system is fit for purpose. Yep. Um, um, that could also be very meaningful uh, with regard what the sector looks like on a three to five years view. And I will remind listeners that um, we had a Productivity Commission report in 2014, which was uh, commissioned by the government at the time. And four years later, we saw the childcare subsidy introduced. So these reports often precede quite meaningful changes. We don't know what those changes look like, yep, but they tend to precede meaningful changes. So um, for us um, as operators, at this point in time, we're very much business as usual and we jive into much of the narrative that Ash shared. But we're also aware in the back of our mind that there could be some changes. Some of them might be good for the sector. Some of them might be less good for the sector. We don't know. Yep. So we're just waiting and watching. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, politics uh, always have some sort of uh, uh, impact on all this, right? Same, same uh, across all geographies. 
Absolutely. It's, it's just remarkable. And, and I don't believe it was as extreme as it, as it is now, as it was, say, 10, 12 years ago. But that being said, if you look back at the history of the sector back to the 90s, it was also politicized back then. So like it or not, if you're working in early education, there is always going to be a political uh, uh, dynamic to what we do. As operators, we try not to get caught up with that. We're kind of like, let's deal with what we've got in the moment. We've got to fill our centers. We've got to manage our staff. We've got to manage our costs. That's what we're doing. But in the back of our minds, we're very aware that there could be meaningful change on the horizon. Yep, absolutely. Not necessarily what you can plan for today, but just uh, be mentally prepared for some sort of change down the road. Um, interesting. Uh, and then and Celine, so forward-looking, next five to 10 years, uh, talked a little bit about how maybe it changes from a, a, a spatial type of planning perspective, politics, anything uh, yeah. additional? That's really interesting feedback from you, Jason and Ash, about uh, what you're seeing in the sector, specifically, Ash, what you had said about the spaces and those co-working spaces, because I do think we'll see uh, the trend of uh, hybrid working will, will very much continue. And so that that aligns, uh, I think, fairly nicely there. Um of course, I think there is a bit of a trend with a younger generation uh, in the in that space, more specifically as operators and leaders in the space. And with that, uh, I think from the technology space, uh, that is advantageous uh, for for us, especially and, and Ash as well, in the sense that uh, operators are looking to move away from pen and paper. They're looking at very data driven decisions, I think, uh, and so having software and technology that uh, supports those decisions. Uh, will be something that I think a lot of operators are now no longer seeing as uh, nice to have or cherries on tops, but absolute expectations. And especially uh, if they're reporting to any sort of board, the expectation there is that they'll be able to have some real data and some numbers to be able to report on. So uh, very much seeing the the software and the technology space uh, driving the the sector um, for growing organizations. I think Jason and I and I have actually talked about that. You know, there's a lot of investment in childcare, uh, whether it's private equity or public uh, pub companies going public, and um, it's kind of a different dynamic in the space. It's uh, a lot of data consolidation for board meetings and metrics, and um, it's really interesting how it's all shifting that way. Um, but I'd like to maybe uh, shift and ask the question about competing priorities. All these things are happening, right? There's politics, there's inflation, there's macroeconomic factors, um, and all those put a little bit of different type of pressure on the center operators and owners. So how do you, you know, how would you um, suggest uh, or recommend leaders and uh, operators look at balancing, you know, growth versus quality, quality loss or program quality loss or uh, innovation versus, you know, risk management. How do you balance that and what do you have to look at as an operator? Any thoughts on that? Um, I think would be interesting to, to bring up. Jason, if you have anything to start, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, so I can um, speak from experience, um, given that we have a, a small portfolio of centers. Um, and the way we're approaching things at the moment is that we are segmenting them. We are understanding um, precisely um, what we need to do to optimize the particular center. In some instances, it might be labor-focused. Some instances, it might be cost-focused. Some inst- instances, it might be enrollment-focused. Yep. So if we've got six centers, three of them have got labor-tightening opportunities, then we will embark on that. The other three, uh, if it's a top-line uh, situation, then we will focus very much on that. So what do we do? Yep. Well, one area is that um, we allocate budget to support um, performance marketing. Yep. We also allocate budget to to support content creation, which we can use online for SEO. Yep. We also allocate budget to explore lead management. Yep. The centers we own are not particularly sophisticated. We don't have a CRM system in there. We're actively looking at it now. Yep. And the reason is, is that we want to optimize our business. And we recognize that the centers we're bringing on are not optimized. And there's lots of runway to do that. Yep. I'm not concerned about innovating at this juncture. 
um, in terms of program. Our programs are absolutely fine. Yep, I am concerned about growth, but that's a separate discussion. It's about finding new centers. Yep, what I'm concerned about is getting those three services up to where they need to be. Yep, so what do I need to do? I need to explore marketing. I need to explore levering technology. I need to explore training my team. There's work to be done. And where do we fit in that segmentation that Ash shared about? We're in the middle. We're in that middle. Yep. And our job as operators is to find the pathway to bring us up. Yep. And and we see marketing and technology as an important mover in that. Yeah. Every every uh, operation has its own equation, right? And it could be a little bit of revenue. It could be a little bit of staff. It could be a little bit of uh, 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 consumables, whatever it is, right? And it's just trying to figure out, dial it in and calibrate each of the components of that equation that's to make right. it to make your work, right? And that's what makes our sector so extraordinary to be involved in because it's a puzzle. Yeah, and there are fi- there, there's a finite number of pieces yeah, and it's up to you as the leader, whether you're a center leader, a room leader, or an organizational leader, to identify the puzzle pieces and start to gently put them together. Yep. And and that's the skill. That's that's why we do what we do and why we're still here. Um and so really, really well said. That's that's the way we look at things. Yep, hundred percent. And then you gotta look at the pieces. How do you amplify certain pieces and how do you to work to optimize others. So that's, I mean, that's every business. That's what we do too, right? And we, uh, we, we do technology. So it's like, what's the, what's the equation? What's going to move the needle on the variables in that equation? Uh, so that's how I look at it. I think it's super applicable across uh, childcare ECE as well. So, uh, so Lynn, what, what about you? What thoughts on balancing, you know, quality uh, innovation versus risk management and growth versus program quality loss? Yeah, I mean, I think, Jason, you you highlighted it fairly well. Um, I think there's many levers you can push and pull. And so it's understanding which ones you do need to push and pull and um, maybe not being um, distracted by the shiny new trends, but maybe focusing more so on, similar to what Jason said, what is really important to your organization or to your center specifically, Um, setting clear values and goals and and making sure that comes from the top down and uh, everyone involved in your organization understands uh, what's involved there. Um, I think there are, like we said uh, at the very top of uh, of the call, the the ECs Base is ch- constantly changing. There's always new technology. There's always new trends. There's always new things happening. Um, but setting clear goals and priorities for your organization, and then rather than changing everything at once, right, uh, making uh, fine tuning that process and, and pushing and pulling the very specific levers, um, I think is is how I would tackle that. Excellent. And then Ash, I'll let you close up. Any thoughts to this question relative to you know risk yeah, versus innovation? I think Jason and, and, and Selena nailed it in my mind. Um, so everything they've said, I, I agree with. I think um, just adding is really um, with anything that you know you, you roll out from an innovative point of view. For me, there's there's kind of three guiding principles, which is um, ultimately it's it's child safety and well being, child growth and parent communication. So in anything you're doing, if you nail those three as guiding principles. Or as values, as, as you know, Celine was saying and, and Jason was saying, you'll be in a good space. I think that the other key point for me is it. It still surprises me that operators um, have great ideas and they think of things uh, from a you know a new innovation and a growth perspective, but they're so afraid to bring parents on that journey and chat to them. And I think this is imperative in in the sense of getting things right and mitigating some of those risks of adoption is really. Start the process with having quality conversations with your parents. Understand what quality looks like for them um, and, and, you know, have a really strong change management approach to rolling that out. Um, and I think that's, um, that, that's you know, a, a key addition for me as well. Change management is the hardest thing, I think, across the board if you're, if you're trying to do anything, right, because you're worried a little bit about the staff and how it's going to impact them. You're worried uh, about the unknown, right, and if it's going to have a positive impact or negative impact. Uh, but sometimes you got to take a chance and make a little take take some risk on to to evolve and move forward. So I think that's a really important point. Um, interesting. So I, I uh, that's kind of current state of ECE in in, in Australia. Want to turn it to enrollment and growth a little bit and talk a little bit about 
trends that are emerging in 24 and you know what trends are you seeing and what what's on what do you expect to change um throughout throughout the year uh, and how do you expect like enrollment trend 20 coming out of 23 enrollment trends into 2024 and how do you see that evolving throughout the year and i'll uh ash if you could take that one to start off i'd appreciate it yeah perfect so what I'm starting to see is the the best operators in my mind are evolving their businesses from just childcare and early education to really understanding parent experience um, and how you sell to parents. So some groups, and they're not big groups, we're, we're talking five or six centres, um, they've now got dedicated relationship managers who conduct the centre tours and try to, to convert to an enrolment um, they're preferring their centre directors to focus on the day-to-day operations and build the relationships with the families once they're in the centres. Um, and they're taking that pressure off by having relationship man- uh, managers who essentially uh, float around the centres with the sole focus of new parents. Um, I think groups are realising as well that centre managers um, don't always have a sales skill set. Um, their job is to look after um, the children in the centres work and, and look after, I guess, you know, the, the staff and grow that business. But we've got more and more people starting to look further afield and come to us and, and you know, go to sales coaches and look to really skill up their frontline centre directors, if that's their model, um, to look at, at, at better uh, conversion rates or getting people from a tour converted to an enrolment. Um And groups are understanding that there is a huge weighting on understanding um, parents wanting to understand communication. So it's not just about, um, you know, looking at the learning philosophies in the centre. They want to know on a a daily and weekly basis, how are they going to be communicated with, what information is going to be shared, what they can expect. Um, And that's a a really big one because it it's, uh, it's really important that parents understand this and obviously centres understand this um, as it, it, you know, it, it creates um, a, a good expectation understanding uh, that if well managed, you should see less and less parent issues. The last thing I'll add as well is from a marketing point of view, um, in the last three years, I can honestly say that it, it feels like the spending online has doubled or tripled. Everyone's now talking about SEO, SEM, spending on meta. Um, And yes, this is all very important. And yes, I I put up my hand, I'm biased, I run Care for Kids. Um, But parents are are hungry for customised information and the reassurance from other parents um, really around the current experiences that they've gone through. There needs to be multiple touch points um, to build trust with parents um, as, and more parents are, are really, you know, these days have grown up with that Google age of just researching it and, and not jumping to the most convenient or best known option. Um, so I would suggest be present on all channels, be authentic, show unpolished and unfiltered content. That's what parents want. They, they want something that's realistic. I, I agree. I'm a, I'm a parent and um, I can uh, relate to everything you just said. So it's, I think that's really genuine and important. So people want to feel comfortable. They want the experiences they want. Uh, they don't want to be tricked or, 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 or sold in the, in a bad way. Uh, but they want to send their kids to a safe place where they're comfortable with. They trust the people that they're, you know, um, allowing them to take care of the kids every day. So soup resonates with me. I totally get it. Um, I guess, uh, Celine from, uh, enrollment trends, 2024, anything, you know, from, you get a lot of interaction with many different customers that do it in different ways, but, uh, from your perspective, um, what do you see changing or expanding in 24? Yeah, I think uh, Ash is right in the sense that it is more parent, it's more of a parent-led experience. Even one to two years ago, um, working with operators and promoting and suggesting uh, tools and services uh, that allow for families to self-serve, there would be some operators that were more reluctant because it didn't necessarily align or work perfectly into their schedules. And there's been a massive shift where uh, operators are understanding the importance of catering to the uh, the family's preferred uh, experience and that is self-service we know that for a fact that families do prefer to self-serve and we're seeing that online uh quite a bit uh and- jason uh enrollment um 
trends expanding and emerging in 24? Any thoughts there? Yeah. So from a, from a top down perspective, one has to be a little bit troubled that the 23% increase in entitlement spending, funding, childcare funding into the sector that was precipitated by the cheaper childcare changes in July didn't yield a particularly large uptick in demand. Yeah, and it's just notable that. So what does that mean? That basically means parents, rather than committing more time in care for their children, are electing to pocket the savings to either pay down the debt or use to fund their lifestyles. Yeah. So against that backdrop, um, 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 there is a little concern in my mind's eye that the structural demand for care may have peaked for the moment. I mean, if you know, $2.6 billion can't do it, what can? But then on the other side of the coin, if you're um, an owner of a service or leading a service, there is always opportunities yep, to stand out from your peers, to engage families, um, to love your staff, yep, um, and ensure that your facilities are well presented. All of these things together combined create a value proposition which will attract families. Yep. So it's really down to us as operators and back to that puzzle to complete the puzzle. Yep. Make sure that you've, you, 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 you're projecting um, um, the true essence of your service, um, whether it be online or not, and um, the demand will come. Yeah. And we've always followed that um, motto in our service. If we do the right things, the right things will happen. You do good things, good things will happen. If you present correctly to the parents and care for the children and team, the parents will come. Yeah. And, um, and that's the way we're approaching it at this moment. No, it's good. It's, uh, it's an awesome perspective. So I guess to shifting to, to, you know, growth, right? So it's hard to grow if you don't have that equation or that puzzle figured out or have an idea how to, how to optimize it and, and, and make it work. So what do you, where have you seen mistakes from executives when trying to grow by acquisition, right? Not just fill up a, a fill up a, a center, right? Um, and, and how can those in the audience that are listening think about that and, and make sure that they don't have, you know, trip up by, by thinking that the only way to grow is through acquisition or how do you grow effectively through acquisition, I guess is the question. The early learning sector is a really interesting sector because if you buy a center, you know, there's no room to grow over and above your license places. It's just a fact. Yep. So you can buy a center that's a turnaround at 25% occupancy and you can apply your skills. And there's a lot of very skilled leaders out there who can take 25% to 100% in 18 months. No problem. But once you've reached 100%, you've maxed out. You've got to pay your team and you've got to pay your team well because you love your team. With no team, without your team, you can't do anything. Yep. So the idea of cost cutting at labor at the labor line, forget it. It ain't going to happen. It's just not good good sense. Yep. And elsewhere, the P and L, there's not much to play with. Yep. So I can see why uh, ambitious early learning leaders look to grow their networks and footprints because if they have success in one center, they've got nowhere else to grow. So the right thing to do in their mind is to buy another. Why not? That's that's what happens. However, buying a center sounds a lot easier than it actually is. The key to successful acquisitions, in no doubt, is the work you do prior to signing that contract. Yep, you need to understand the location. You need to understand the team. You need to understand the vendors. You need to understand the competition. You need to understand the policy arrangements, ACCS, CCS, um, incentives for labor. It's, it's a big job, you know, and, um, and I, would, I would encourage all um, aspirational or ambitious uh, early learning leaders out there to ensure that they do their homework because there is nothing more difficult than acquiring something that you thought was something and ends up being something else, particularly if you lack experience. If you're very experienced, 
you can turn things around quickly. But if you lack experience, it's really challenging. Yep. Um, so, um, so yeah, there's a lot of myth-making around growing networks, how quick and easy it is. It's very difficult. It requires real attention and real work. But if you're prepared to do it, I mean, how meaningful? You know, you're, you're, you're supporting more families. You're supporting more children. You know, you're, 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 you're empowering team members at scale. It's a beautiful space to be. Yep. But getting there is not easy. Yeah. It's, uh, I smile because acquisition is challenging. It is never what you actually purchased or you thought you were purchasing. There's always, you know, there's always some sort of uh, variance to what you thought you were going to experience. But the acquisition playbook, we call it acquisition playbook, right? It's part of the diligence process. You need an acquisition playbook. You need to think through all these different um, parts of the operation uh, and and make sure you have your checklist before you go into even considering it, I think is really, really important. So, um, Ash, what, what about you? Any thoughts on acquisition and making sure, um, you know, mistakes that you've seen or you've heard from executives and what you have to have in place before you actually take the plunge on an, on an acquisition? Yeah, absolutely. And I think... Um... You know, touching on what Jason was saying, on the flip side, there are a lot of, again, very smart people who go out there, they buy an amazing centre. It's at 90% plus occupancy. It's got a stable staff base. It's making money. Uh, They buy it. They try to make it more efficient. They try to streamline it to fit the the structure of their other centres. They roll out new policies, new procedures. They change the communication style. Uh, Sometimes they rebrand it because it increases the valuation and the, the multiple of having a, a branded portfolio. And what they do is um, they take everything that they that made that centre a success and they strangle it with this generic approach to running a childcare centre that on paper should actually make more money and should be more efficient. But what they fail to understand, and, and this is what Jason touched on, is they've now destroyed the culture They've removed that community connection uh, and the value proposition changes and parents end up leaving. And so, you know, we've, we've seen centres that were at 90% plus occupancy and two years later they're trading at, you know, less than 45%. Mm. Um, and so what I'd say to people is sometimes just take a step back and, and have a look at the actual centre and, 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 you know, what made it successful mm. and don't, you know, I'm not allowed to swear, but don't uh, tinker with it too much um, and, you know, try to, to, to get it to fit your exact mould. Sometimes you've got to keep those little bits of, of points of difference and uniqueness uh, in those different communities and, and regions that the uh, centres operate. Yeah, I'd, I'd just like to reiterate, that's absolutely bang on the money. I mean, it's absolutely bang on the money. And, and how, do you, how do you manage that in the moment? And, and the way we do it is that um, we conduct serious due diligence beforehand so we know what we're getting. And then we have a post-settlement implementation plan. Yep. And that plan is really explicit about the strengths and the weaknesses and the opportunities and the threats. So we're all absolutely clear that that stuff we don't need to tinker with, it's going beautifully. And that stuff might need a little bit of tweaking. It needs some help. Yep. But but this is all work. It's all effort and commitment. And and again, underlines that the more you put in, the more you get out. And that's the way I believe. And, I, and that's a really important part of our business. And I, I suspect with you guys as well, it's like you put in the work, you'll get the results. Yep. But it is work. Post yeah. pre-settlement and post-settlement. Yeah, and absolutely, absolutely right. Can I add one one more thing, which is um, communicate with the team and the team members because I think there's often this um, view of, you know, we communicate with them last because we're afraid that, you know, they'll leave and they'll ruin the business, but they know what's happening. They can feel it, they can sense it, and by not communicating, you're actually, um, you know, causing you know, disrupt in their day-to-day and, and, you know, it leaches out into the parents. So I think bring team members in on that journey and communicate with them as early as you can and, and start to reassure them, start to bring them in 
um, and help them build some of that transition plan with you. Yeah, over-communicate, take care of your people, right? That's kind of uh, two most important things from acquisition and growth. Uh, well, I'm going to shift a little bit uh, to technology and automation. Um, you know, that's part of growing and, and you think about that through acquisition. But I guess, Celine, I'll throw it to you first, but are there new ways you've seen multi-site childcare brands rely on technology and, um, you know, today that they weren't doing five years ago? I mean, you worked for a big operator. Now you work and help uh, a lot of other different profiles of operators. But have you seen um, how, you know, multi-site brands have relied on technology and what opportunities you know, do you see that um, they're facing yeah. today? Yeah, I think the idea of a tech stack is more present than ever. And what I mean by that is different tools have dedicated intentions and they, uh, you know, would fit together. So a lead generation tool, a CRM tool, your CMS and your, and your parent engagement. Um, so I think that was maybe not something we previously saw. Um, having that tech stack and having tools that are dedicated to doing a certain job and doing that job in, in a really functional way. And the opportunities there really are endless, uh, specifically t- staff time saving, right? A lot of the reason we are implementing these tools is is to save our staff time, is to remove any of that manual, menial work and have them going back to focus on the basics. We've we've highlighted that uh, maybe we're introducing more sales-centric uh uh, folks into the uh, into the industry and into the into the services, uh, and at the end of the day, uh, families are sending these their children to these services uh, to be educated and cared for. And so, introducing tools that take care of these jobs so that they can go back to why they even join the industry in the sector in the first place is because they love to care for children and educate children. Um, so I think using these tools that are were initially designed and are in place uh, is is a, a big uh, game changer. And then also having these tools integrate with each other is another uh, fantastic opportunity. And we're seeing that space uh, happen more and more with uh, integrations, of course, but programs working together or understanding that tech stack um, idea and where they fit alongside each other. Yep. Love it. Ash, anything to add on uh, to that, that piece? Yeah, I, I sort of um, I spoke to an operator to get a real understanding of this. So I, I, a shout out to um, Brett Stokes from Beach Kids Early Learning. Um, I think he, he he talked a lot about the fact that artificial intelligence has started to impact the ECEC sector, like every other industry. Uh, and there's opportunities from your rostering, your payroll systems, documentation, uh, your policy procedures, questionnaires, and, and so on. Um, and I think that's all great. Um, I think what one of the challenges is, you know, there's the potential for over automation um, and it's really important for operators to ensure that there is still a personalised reflection or personalised observation um, on, on each child and we don't just rely on AI and, and, you know, these new innovative tools doing everything for us. Yep, I agree. There's a lot of buzzwords around AI and people don't necessarily understand that everything that that means and entails. And uh, the personalization piece is, is really is really key. Jason, I mean, you, you, do you believe that too? Or are you trying to figure out how AI optimizes the business? Are you looking at technology? How do you look at technology? I mean, you mentioned that you don't have a CRM today, but uh, maybe down the road, how, how are you looking at that to enable, enable you to run a, a better operation and a better service? Yeah, so... We, we think that there are, um, we try and bucket, so how do I phrase it? We try and segment our broader business into areas which can be served with specific types of solutions. So um, the enrollment piece, the parent engagement piece, the lead management piece, the tour piece, that's one bucket. Yeah. And having an effective CRM system to manage that is logical in this day and age. Yeah. The challenge is that many of the service managers across Australia may not be ready or prepared to digitize that process. Yep. But from a management perspective, we love to see it. The other big bucket is workforce, labor management. Yep. And there are a number of um, uh, pretty extensive programs out there which can help with it, the human capital management, essentially. 
awards, pay, um, um, professional learning, um, uh, tracking qualifications, um, 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 a, a whole bucket of, of uses. And there's a lot of automation in there, which certainly makes our life easier. We're about to employ a, a, a new system to manage exactly that. We're ready for that now. Yep. Um, um, and then we have the, the booking side of things. We, we need a childcare management system, which is the heart of the business, um, no doubt about it. And some of the more uh, progressive systems at the moment extend down into the classroom and help manage the quality piece, documentation, OBS, and reporting, et cetera, and then extend out of the center into the parents. Yep. So um, that's how we think about our technology stack. Where are we on that journey? Well, we're probably around 60% there. Yep. And um, the nature of our business is that we buy um, smaller, um, um, uh, formerly mum and dad operated services. So they're very paper driven. They're very traditional. And it's a journey to get them to buy into, yep, the fact that if you use this platform, which we'd encourage you to do, it will save you X number of hours a week. If you use this platform, which we encourage you do, you can hold your team accountable for X, Y, and Z. Yep. But that's a journey. Yep. And hence why we aren't 100%, you know, um, automated and tech-led across the organization. But we will get there. And once we're there with those three main buckets, uh, three to four, yep, we will then put an overlay on top. Yeah. And we will be able to draw out the relevant data and insights we need into a business information system. Yep. So we know where we're going. We know what the market can offer us to help us do that. It's just a question of, of calibrating our aspirations to the reality of the centers we've acquired and operate. Yeah, makes 100% sense. Um, and you got to do it when you're ready, right? And the, and the system can handle it. And the, and the team can handle it and you're ready. You don't want too much disruption. So I totally get it. Um, Sorry to interrupt, Brett, but the smarts yeah. are out there. The, yes. the leaps and bounds in the user experience, yep, and the outcomes that come from engaging with modern contemporary technology stacks is it's there. It's just yeah. a question of whether our workforce, our parents, are ready. Yep. Yeah. And as a leader, I've got to marry manage that tension. I know what it can do. Sure. But I know what we can handle, and I've got to gradually bring everybody together at some yeah. point in the future. Yeah. Yeah. But um, the future is clear. It's just getting there. Yep. hundred uh, percent. Makes sense. Well, to, to wrap up the podcast uh, in question, I got one last question for y'all to, to close it up. Uh, safety and security, right? Uh, always number one when, when you're in the space and, and dealing with education and children. Um, what, what are your, your tips for maintaining child safety and, and mitigating any security risks, especially when you have multi-sites? Uh, it's a little bit harder. So, uh, Ash, do you have any uh, comments to, to close up uh, the podcast on safety and security and tips? I don't really have a strong um, uh, you know, point of view to, to comment on this, just not being a, a center operator. So I'm, I'm actually keen to hear what Jason has to say on this. All right, Jason. Yeah, yeah, thank, thanks, Ash. Um, there's two things that, um, that we... Um, focus on really clearly is that we try to develop a culture of responsibility in our centers. Yep. The interesting thing about the childcare space is we know what we need to do. It's called the National Quality Framework. Yep. It's all there. Yep. So when we're thinking about compliance-related matters, we're thinking about um, um, delivering a quality program. We think about ensuring supervision and mitigating risk. It's all there. It's all stepped out. Yep. The question is, is your team yep, sufficiently engaged to be in adhering to the various requirements? Yep. So we try and manage that from uh, if, if by creating a responsibility culture. You as team members are responsible. Yep. You, you therefore need to own your program. You need to own your practice. Yep. It's not nobody else's fault. It's not nobody else. It's you. Yep. And, and we do that by creating, um, you know, we've got a head of safety, you know, we've got a head of evacuation plans. Yep. We've got um, a, a chief of rostering. Yep. So we try and allocate responsibilities amongst the team. 
which create that sense of ownership and responsibility, which help us as an organization sleep well at night because we feel we've got it covered. Yep. Now, we may not. So combined with that culture of responsibility has to be an oversight level. Yep. And technology is really helpful for that. Checklists are really helpful for that. We can track checklists through our various platforms um, as to whether people are doing what they're supposed to be doing or not. Yep. We can see from tracking ratios on a real time basis. Yep. Whether we're adhering to our obligations or not. Yep. But it's twofold. You can put in the systems and the team won't respond. Yep. So you need to create the culture of responsibility and then have oversight as to the way they're managing their rooms. Yep. And, um, and, and that's the way we're approaching things. It's twofold, people and tech. Yeah. Love it. So, Celine, any closing thoughts on that? Yeah, I think the only thing I would say to uh, complement what Jason said is practice and training is, of course, uh, really important in that space as well. So I really like the piece about ownership of, of uh, the specific responsibilities, but also um, having training that goes to cybersecurity, but also uh, evacuation plans or um, offsite um excursions and then practicing those so that there's accountability but also uh so that everyone is familiar with the processes because you can have all the processes in the world uh but if people aren't familiar with them uh then when they're you know heaven forbid there's an event uh people aren't prepared on how to actually behave appropriately training 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 i didn't mention that but you're spot on to raise it Celine. that's part of the culture of responsibility is that we got to Put, put the team, set the team up for success. Yep. To be owners, to be responsible. Yep. And in order to do that, you need to communicate and train. Spot on. Yep. Accountability framework. Um, that's, that's perfect. So, well, uh, thank you for taking the time. I think this was great. I hope, I hope, um, Celine, Ash, Jason, really appreciate you taking the time out of your day. Uh, hopefully those that listen have got a couple, uh, good takeaways. Uh, and hopefully if you have any questions for us, listeners, uh, please send us your feedback and, and we'll distribute, um, you know, some responses via J- Ash and Jason down the road and Celine as well. But uh, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for all that you do in the space um, and uh, excited for everyone for uh, 2024. Thank you. All right. Thanks very much. Thank, thank you so much. much.